Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. I'm Ryan Salisbury, and today I have a co-host, uh, Teen, from Hey, what's Escape going on? Plan a. Yep. Hey, Teen. Hey, how's um, it going, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, so today we're talking about uh, modern monetary theory, which uh, Teen hit me up about a couple months ago because he he saw that uh, we did something on it and. Uh, you know, we, we left we left you out. So uh, no, you, you, you didn't. To, uh, you asked come if on I could talk join. about it. <laughs> well, you know, you guys didn't leave me out. You, you you were nice enough to ask me if I could join. I just couldn't do it that day. But I was like, fuck, because uh, I love this topic, uh, and I was happy you guys did one on it. And um, but I figure if you if you've if you've already addressed it, uh, eh, um, you guys did a good job on it, I guess. But like, uh, I honestly I, don't I, even you, remember what we said about it. So we might uh-huh. we might be recovering some ground, but I think that's okay because you know you got to repeat stuff to really learn it. Yeah, but you you guys are really, I mean, your neighbor sign. You guys get really in depth, like with detail and stuff. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> which is yeah, it's good. But like, also, I think though with MMT, sometimes it's it's almost like the details end up confusing people. Almost that more, yeah, you know? that is true. I think mm-hmm. yeah. So what's I've, what's your interest in MMT? My interest in MMT is just that um, you know I've I've worked in um, finance for a while, and and it MMT is basically in my mind sort of it, it came out of um, academics that really knew what the boring day-to-day life of finance professionals actually entailed in terms of how payments are made in terms of you know how treasuries are settled like they were actually looking at money operations and saying that wait this doesn't comport at all with what with how money operations are described in economics textbooks so i just thought it was really interesting because it was like you know actual I remember the first time I saw MMT. After 200 years, economists finally learned how to read a balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny because it's like um, you you get a lot. Like I was watching some MMT stuff on YouTube, and it was all these like uh, traders and stuff, and 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 people who worked on fixed income desks and stuff, going to these things, going, "Yep, that's how that's how we see it too." <laughs> uh, so I just thought it was interesting because this is not like. MMT doesn't come from like, you know, uh, from up on high, you know, it's like sort of like that, that, that grunt class finance professional that would look at this and say, yep, I think that's uh, exactly how it works. So as someone with experience in finance, like, how do you perceive like mainstream economics and like what, how they describe the economy? Uh, it's well the thing about MMT that's most interesting is how it directly addresses one of the core political, you know, smokescreens that you see which is that um w- the national debt is exploding it's at 12 trillion dollars um we're going to be spending more on interest payments and basically saddling our kids and they're going to be indentured servants to China and other treasury holders <laughs> in the future. And then you're like, it's both sides saying this, it's fucking liberals and yeah. you know, conservatives saying this stuff. Um, and it's insane because they've been saying it since forever. They've been saying it since the beginning of the 20th century and um, it's never come true. 
Right. Uh, we've never had our children become indentured servants of those who hold U.S. Treasury bonds. Uh, but they keep saying it. They still say it. Um, so Yeah, one of the reasons I got into gear on uh, doing this episode is because of the Democratic debate on yeah. the 14th, uh, mm-hmm. where they kept asking, uh, mainly Bernie, uh, over and over, how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? And the answer is, who gives a fuck? <laughs> right. Right. The answer right. is uh, government spending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has a good answer. I mean, I, I like his answer, which is which is more rooted in material. Like, he doesn't think about the money so much as the fact that we already are paying for the health services. So, yeah, what, what do you mean? Yeah. How are we going to pay for I, it? We already are, we already are paying for it. Yeah, I made a you know the Shack meme where he's like uh, something I sleep something real shit. I made one mm-hmm. w- w- which was like uh, you know uh, people uh, going into debt to pay for health care. I sleep. Government going into debt to pay for healthcare, real shit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, that's basically what their argument is. It's, yeah. it's bad for the government to pay for stuff, but people paying for stuff is very, very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so just to introduce MMT for anyone who isn't really aware of it, uh, MMT is basically uh, an update of uh, an old theory called chartalism. Uh, which uh, there's basically two theories to explain the origin of money. One is chartalism and one is metallism. So metallism says that uh, money is, you know, basically like a magic special like token uh, that springs forth from, I don't know, nowhere. (laughs) And the, the government has to like appropriate it somehow. And then like its value depends on how much there is in, in supply and uh, has to be based on a real commodity and just the, like all of the nonsense theories of money uh, are, are under that umbrella. And then chartalism is the idea that money is created by states in order to mobilize workers and all like all money's value is like fiat. So the like the reason that you get money is because, the state controls resources and workers and you need their money in order to acquire those resources or pay for, pay those workers. Um, so modern monetary theory is basically just chartalism with, with central banking added to it because capitalism uses central banks as its main source of money in the economy. See, that's the neighbor science breakdown that I'm talking about. You guys start from <laughs> these real intellectual fundamentals. So it sounds like to me, because I'm not familiar with metallism or chartalism as concepts, but it sounds like metallism is this is broadly the idea that money is inherently valuable and scarce, whereas chartalism right. is saying that no money is a social fiction that's created by um, some governmental authority. Uh, yeah, is is sort of like one way to distinguish the two, or. Yeah, like, um, I mean, one of the main, like, alternative theories of money is that it sprang forth from barter. So, you know, 12,000 years ago, we were all trading uh, cows for chickens with our neighbors. And then (laughs) some smart guy figured out, oh, man, that's really inefficient. We should actually use pieces of paper 
or that, uh, that, you know, that, metal that's the predominant view. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the predominant view where you go to any of those Econ 101 textbooks and they're always like, imagine a world without money and a guy brings chickens to markets, but he wants a haircut and the barber right. doesn't want, <laughs> he wants planks. Uh, and this guy wants and that's nails. That's what capitalism uh, is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, you know who does a good job of breaking that fiction down is David Graeber's uh, Debt, the first five thousand years. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah, book. Yeah, I'm 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 like a I read the Barnes and Noble's editors' picks. That's me, and uh, <laughs> that's a good that's a good book to to sort of get 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 through that myth. Maybe. Yeah, I would also recommend that. It's uh it's something like four hundred pages, but it's uh actually a very breezy read. I think. Graeber yeah, he's a, a good, good writer. writer. He's very accessible. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. to funny. me, a good writer is someone who makes you interested in what you're reading. Uh, yes. Not someone who uses like flowery language or any shit like that. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so I think David Graeber makes the stuff that he writes very interesting to read. Yeah. I, like his, uh, the book he released after that, The Utopia of Rules. I read mm-hmm. it. Uh, in its entirety on a plane trip. <laughs> yeah, I think because he's an anthropologist, I think he's a lot more like engaging in many ways than like say an economist. Yes. So yeah. Um so let's see. Uh what do we have to talk about with MMT? So I I look I've looked at this tool a lot uh on econviz uh econviz.org. Yeah. Uh they call it the macroeconomic balance sheet visualizer because one of the things about the modern economy is it's it despite me railing on economists constantly they are kind of correct that the economy is pretty complex and hard to understand <laughs> um just they're wrong about which areas are hard to understand uh so if you stare at this like uh, macroeconomic balance sheet visualizer for a while you you might start to get how uh central banking and commercial banking and all that stuff works um but it like the tool basically explains like these different uh, operations that the government and the central bank and commercial banks and households can go through, um, and it lets you like move money around the economy. And the the purpose of it is to show you how the government can spend money without having to uh, collect it like revenue uh, via taxes, which is like the main thing that MMT is trying to put forth into the world that the government doesn't have to tax you in order to uh, spend things on public services. Yeah. I mean, I think it sounds like the starting point for MMT in terms of how I uh, learn have learned about it. I mean, I'm not going to say I fully understand it, um, but I think the basics are pretty no clear. No one does. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one does. Cause it's not never been um, it's both. I mean, MMT is a description of how things already work. So when people mm-hmm. are going like, oh, you can't do MMT, you know, modern monetary theorists are kind of saying, no, 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 that's already what you're doing. Right. It's, it's more <laughs> like you don't understand what you're doing, but you're already doing it. Right. Yeah. And so I think the starting point for me was to understand that we often treat the federal government as another market player another player in the economy the same way that a company would be a player in the economy or or a person and or a family for that matter and that like a company or like a individual like we have budgetary constraints we can only spend what we take in to the extent we spend more than what we take in we have to borrow money so that we have to pay it back in the future and there's an interest rate attached to it and all that stuff and And if if you you don't pay your debts back the government the irs will garnish your wages 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and we're doing debtor prisons now and shit too. So you'll you'll that, probably that, end up that's why jail. that's why we need to worry about the the national debt because we don't yeah. want the IRS to garnish the government's wages. <laughs> right. And 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 of course, if yeah, so if, if the U.S. government doesn't pay, then of course. It's bank account, you know, it's bankers at JP Morgan are is gonna sue the US government and put them yeah. in debtor prison. It's not gonna be able to buy any more houses. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and um this is this view is entirely wrong, of course, because the government is not like the others. Um, the federal government. Uh, you know, state government would be right would be subject to budgetary constraints the same way a company would. But yeah. when you're talking about the government that issues the currency, it's fundamentally different. They're on a completely different position and there's they're more like the house dealer and uh you know we're all living in 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 the casino and we we yeah. have to play with the chips but they create the chips and so it's just totally different when it comes to the federal government is that the sort of starting point for mmt is saying there is a completely different relationship with money when you're the currency issuer right yeah yeah i mean that's the thing that uh, like i try to drive that home to a lot of people that I mean, there's like this uh, this idea that people just pick up through osmosis, like even even without taking an econ class. Uh, mm-hmm. Although if you take an econ class, you will believe this even more. But you know, the general idea is that the government has to uh, raise money uh, by taxing people in order to spend it, and if it doesn't do that, then either it can't because reasons no one can ever explain why, or if it does uh, create money, it will cause inflation. Right, that's which that's is the, the other key. big thing. Yeah, which MMT doesn't deny. They right? MMT well, doesn't they deny, deny that, it that to they deny it, uh, it uh, up to the point where the government achieves full employment, and, and this is where I disagree with them because um, their idea of inflation is demand pull inflation, which is like uh, basically applying supply and demand to the price of money, which doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, like inflation is treated as like the value of money. So like if there's $10 in circulation and something costs $5 and you add, you know, five more dollars into circulation, then now there's like 50% more dollars than there should be. And so the price has to go up by 50% too, because, Mm -hmm. because of like supply and demand, but that's complete Mm -hmm. nonsense because money is the measure of value. And that, like there, there's no way that that could work. I mean, like inflation is when prices go up. And so in order for that to happen, uh, someone has to change the price. So IE a business has to change the price. And like, what, what is the step between the government adding more money to the economy and the business adding to the price? Like no one um, can ever explain that part of the, the theory. And yeah, 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 I mean, I think because there, oh, it's so there, so with respect to MMT, it seems like there's two, yeah, I mean, MMT basically says that the government essentially does, yeah, you're right, it does not need to collect tax revenues in order mm-hmm. to spend, right? And that the unless idea, it's at full employment, unless it's at full employment, but tax at, in order to control inflation, right? But I mean, even then, that's just through economic management, but the, but the fundamental monetary side of this versus the fiscal side is that the government doesn't take in money and spends it. In fact, when it taxes money, um, your money's destroyed. It's just removed from the economy. It doesn't go back to the government in that sense. The government into a giant digital furnace. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just gone. The government doesn't take your money and then save it and then spend it. It's just it's removing cash from the system. And yeah. when the government yeah. spends money, it's putting cash into the private sector. And so the MMT is basically saying there's a certain identity between government deficits and government debt and public uh, surpluses. So mm-hmm. when the government spends a million dollars, it has a million dollar hole. But that's completely offset by the fact that there's now a surplus somewhere in the private sector because that's where it spent the money into. Um, and taxes, all that that's really doing is saying, okay, I've put a million into the economy into the private economy, I'm going to tax 300,000 of it back. So I've, I've put a million in and then I'm going to remove 300,000. And that's basically all that's happening. And the idea that the government, it, it, it's, it's the idea that, you know, the government now owes someone uh, 700,000 is really not what happened at all. The 700,000 just means that it's, it's a record of the government having put that money into circulation. So yeah, I think before I learned all this, I didn't really understand the difference between like the deficit and the debt, Uh, because you know what, like if you don't understand what the deficit means, and you think that the government has to tax in order to spend, then like what what is the difference between the deficit and the debt in that framework? But if you understand that the government issues money, then it's very clear that the deficit is just the amount that it has issued compared to the amount that it has taxed and the debt is the debt. It's different. Yeah. Um, but we, but we finance all our deficits with debt, right? So we, we are tracking it as treasuries and yeah. we're tracking it that way. Um, and so it just, it just, it just uh, reinforces this notion that the government borrows the money that it can't, that it, that it, that it doesn't have in terms of tax revenue in order to finance its, its spending. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not what's going on. At, I mean, it's not that, like, MMT is not saying, like, oh, you don't have to do that. MMT is saying that's not actually what's happening. And that's not what treasuries are. Right. And when, when it comes to treasuries, what, what MMT is saying is that all a treasury is, is when, let's say, a bo- like, you... You hold cash. You're just you're a, you're a foreign government, or you're a company, or you're even an individual, and you're holding U.S. dollars. You have cash. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is that the government is providing you with the option of switching that cash into a different form that pays interest. That's literally all it all it is. They're not borrowing your money. So, like, let's say China as an example, they hold probably between three and four trillion dollars of quote U.S. debt. Um, oh my God! They're going to take over. Yeah, they're going to take over, and we're going to be pulling rickshaws for Xi Jinping or whatever, right? And what the MMT's theorists, what the MMTers are saying is, no, no, no. All that happened is that we created a current account. Uh, they have a current account surplus with this, meaning if you look at the history of of trade with China, they've sold they've sold us about three or four trillion dollars more worth of stuff cumulatively up to this point than what we've sold them. And so the difference is made up for with cash. They hold three or four trillion dollars of U.S. Treasury notes, cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and so the um, sorry, Federal Reserve notes. So they're holding cash. And what we allow them to do is to say, 
instead of holding cash that pays no interest, we'll provide you with a federal subsidy wherein you can switch your cash over to your savings account at the Federal Reserve and in, we'll, we'll now call them treasury notes and it'll pay some, you know, it'll pay some nominal interest rate. And the reason China doesn't hold cash and holds treasury notes is because why wouldn't you take the free interest? And that's all that happens. They just debit the cash account at the Federal Reserve and they credit the securities account, the savings account. And suddenly they are earning, uh, you know, 0.01% interest on, on their, <laughs> uh, on their, on their cash. We call that debt because it's a treasury note, but that's all that happened is they, they literally just transferred their cash to another um, account that pays interest. And so, and so just think- in case anyone's curious why you wouldn't do that, uh, if the U S decides they don't like you anymore, then they can just uh, decide to freeze your assets. <laughs> if you hold them in a, a U.S. controlled account, uh, yeah, as but we saw no other with, way to uh, hold Venezuela it. Yeah. and their, their, uh, tons and tons of gold at the London Bank, the Bank of uh, Bank of England. <laughs> that not only did they freeze it, they gave control of it over to Guaido. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> fucking insane. Like, not, not, like, can you imagine if JP? Uh, not only did we freeze your account, but we gave it to like the guy you your hate the most. Your greatest enemy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's what we did. Like we literally fucking did that. Um. <laughs> It's just fucking crazy. I can't believe we did. And then we threatened Iraq with it. Like, yeah, it's just fucking nuts. Uh, so just to uh, go through, what are the basic uh, operations that a government can can do uh, to sp- spend money or to collect money? So the first one, the main one that the U.S. uses is uh, the government issues debt, uh, which means uh, household buyers or I. Th- I'm sure other governments or um, businesses uh, use their bank deposits to pay for treasuries, which is what you were just explaining. Um, and so the treasuries go into their bank account, um, which uh, reduces the bank's deposit liability. So the, the bank owes less money in deposits to the account holder. Um, and it also drains its reserves because it used cash to pay for the treasuries. Um but overall, it increases the assets and liabilities of the government and decreases the assets and liabilities of the private sector. Um, so that's like the, the main way that the U.S. government would spend money nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also just um, uh, use treasury deposits uh, to, uh, to pay for stuff, which goes like basically the treasury deposits go to banks which means they increase their reserves and their deposit liabilities. So um, they have more, uh, they have treasuries in reserve that are added to the bank and they have a corresponding deposit liability that is owed to the person that the money is spent on, if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So that the household or business that sold the goods increases their deposit assets. So they haven't, an asset corresponding to the deposit liability at the bank, which means they they now have that money that was given to them by the government. And then the last one is uh, the government can tax uh, people, which that one's pretty obvious. You know, they basically demand money from you and you give it to them. <laughs> uh, bank reserves and deposit liabilities are used for that. So uh, when you're taxed, 
uh, your bank pays the government that amount in tax, which uh, reduces their reserves and also their deposit liabilities to you. Um, so one, one of the big things about MMT is, uh, you know, uh, the economy is, is based on balance sheets all over the place. And so any, uh, like any payment, uh, causes a, like a paired, uh, asset and liability entry in a double entry balance sheet. Um, so that's, that's like one of the main things that MMT does is they follow the asset and liability entries around the economy to see like how everything works. Um, yeah, I mean, starting okay. starting with that idea that that any government expenditure puts well, which puts the federal government into deficit, puts the private sector into surplus. Yep. Right. So anytime you see a headline that's like, oh, uh, you know, U.S. deficits reach record highs, it's the same. The same headline could read U.S. private surpluses reach record highs, which is a much more positive sounding thing. It doesn't sound as scary. Yeah, MMT people love taunting conservatives by saying like if uh if you think the private sector is good then you should love deficits <laughs> that's right that's right yeah um so one of the things that uh econviz is focused on is showing you how the government can spend without borrowing uh so uh in the basic operations government spending involves two steps issuing debt and spending so it um it gives banks treasuries and then, uh, sorry, hold on. It's hard for me to keep track of all this stuff. It issues, yeah. issues treasuries and then uses the treasuries to pay for goods and services. That's the um, traditional view, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, but the other way, uh, that it can do that is just by, uh, just spending because <laughs> yes, it issues right. money. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, like the main reason that the U S doesn't do this according to them is because of, uh, gold standard laws. Like back when we, back when we were on the gold standard, there were a bunch of laws relating to it, um, that, uh, as MMT people describe it are all just self-imposed constraints. Uh, so those laws didn't exist because they're like natural laws and that's how things have to work. But because their ideological laws uh, passed because like people believed in metalism essentially. And so there are laws that prevent uh, the government from like directly issuing uh, treasuries. I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but MMT yeah. is saying that that is what we do. So MMT is saying that if you, if you actually follow um, the breadcrumbs in terms of how the government spends money, um, it just spends it. There's no. It doesn't have to get the money first. Right. The money oh, actually comes um, from spending. Right. Gold. Gold standard era laws are still in place that prevent the central bank from buying debt directly from the treasury in the manner shown here. However, those same laws allow the central bank to buy treasury debt on the secondary market. Right. Right. The latter right. approach simply adds two steps to the process. The treasury yeah. sells debt to primary dealers who know the central bank stands stands ready to buy the debt from them immediately afterwards. So they basically yeah. just insert a middleman into the process and say like this is. How things should yeah, really like, work. <laughs> yeah, like Cantor Fitzgerald or something. But yeah. the, the, they know that the central bank is there. The FO, they call it the FOMC, right? Uh, Federal Open Markets, Open yes. Markets Committee. 
Um, they set the price. They're the market maker in that whole thing. And yeah, they've got like four, like a list of like 40 or 50 primary dealers. Um, but they're just making markets. Like they're, they're just earning little spreads and commissions. Um, Speaking of the FOMC, uh, I, I was just reading today uh, criticism of David Graeber's book by some guy that has this weird thing, like has it out for him basically. And uh, one of the big criticisms was the FOMC uh, has three board members, but David Graeber said that it only has one. <laughs> oh, and so he used the, he used that as like shred the book. David then. Graeber's book is completely wrong. He doesn't even know how yeah. many board members there are in the FOMC. <laughs> you know, this is the thing. Like, I'm not saying that MMT is necessarily 100% right or whatever. I'm just saying that yeah. whenever I've brought it up with people like that, the worst is, are, are people that actually know a little bit about money operations or know a little bit about how the market works. And they start throwing shit at you that doesn't actually mean anything. But they'll say stuff like, um, oh, yeah, MMT totally ignores the yield curve. You have to think about the yield curve. <laughs> or it totally, it, it totally ignores the idea that there's a huge, massive euro dollars market. And I'm like, I understand what the yield curve is. I understand what euro dollars is. I don't understand how that's connected to MMT at all. And they don't. And then the attitude is then like, you know, um, well, uh, it, MMT doesn't properly explain the existence of these things, so it's bullshit. I'm like, it doesn't seek to explain the, the <laughs> existence of this stuff. I'm like, but I think people do. I mean, the worst are people that know a little bit, a bit, bit about this and then throw up smoke screens to sort of give you the idea that they've had this like really elaborately thought out rebuttal to something that they don't never even really heard the full or even tried to comprehend and then they'll say stuff like well it just doesn't explain the yield curve what does that mean how does that <laughs> what is that how does that relate to to what mmt's trying to say i've noticed this a lot with people in terms of argumentation about stuff like the economy they don't i don't know what it is but people I suspect that it comes from. Sorry if I'm taking this off track. I, I know oh, that we're fine. talking about, but like, I, I think I think it's because people, you know, we're so ingrained with the idea that money doesn't grow on trees. Yes, that money yeah. is inherently valuable. That money represents hard work, and there, there's an almost an ethic to money. Like there's some sort of, you know, moral quality. If you to make money. money, it's because you help people. And because yeah, That's the basic and your idea, I think. You, and that and and you 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 suffered you suffered for that money you know like yeah. you delayed instant gratification you put right, in the right, sweat yeah. and equity <laughs> and here comes these you know economists that are seen as left wingers which is not true um, MMT is to me politically neutral and I think we should we should get into that but yes um, we should it's it's not a left wing inherently left wing thing at all I think it's in many ways very right wing. And, yeah, uh, I think a lot of the like the original people exponents of MMT are pretty right wing. Um, yeah, I think Mosler's pretty libertarian right wing. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like the biggest, like the critics of MMT seem to fall into two camps. One is people like uh, Matt Brunig, uh, who they think that MMT uh, is just like this insidious effort to uh, get rid of real social programs and uh, institute a job guarantee so that we have a bunch of make work jobs and uh, you know force people to labor to uh, have like a you know basic standard of living and the, the other 
camp is people like Noah Smith, who are you know pro austerity neoliberals who are just against the idea of the government freely spending money on social programs, and so mm-hmm. all their concern trolling is about that kind of stuff. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the job guarantee is like a big part of MMT, and it's I mean it's not like the ideal social program i don't think but i i don't think it's like a bad thing and i don't think make work jobs are bad (laughs) i think it's fine to have a make work job plenty of people would be fine with uh you know leaving their shitty their current shitty job to get like a better paid job where they most likely spend all day like tweeting (laughs) because it's a make work job Mm. I, i don't think i don't think most people would have a problem with that i don't know I mean, the FJG is just something that some MMTers have proposed as something that the government could do, right? Which is to yeah. say that the federal government, um, because it's not constra- doesn't have any dollar, doesn't it's not constrained by money budgets, um, can just create federal jobs guarantee that essentially sets a minimum floor uh, um, to the to the private labor market. Right. So at any point, someone could say if the job paid too low or the conditions were too shitty, they'd say, fuck you. I'm going to go, you know, sort mail at the post office or whatever yeah. the fuck for eight bucks an hour because fuck you. And I can't get fired from that job. So it's going to be, you know, FJG is not, I don't know. It doesn't sound great, but like that's the theory, right? Is that the federal government can create some floor um below which the standards of like to go any lower than that would not necessarily be illegal but then you would just get people saying fuck you i'm gonna go get a federal job and the people that are most against it are people who are in favor of universal basic income which is what we actually talked about last time you were on here yeah and um their their arguments get really weird because like they basically boil down to like the private sector is is more efficient and better at better at allocating resources because they're like well, you know, you can create all these jobs, but that doesn't mean that they'll be like useful jobs or like be able to do anything good or like people won't have uh, the proper training. The government can't do that and mm-hmm. blah, blah, like all this just made up shit, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's all to defend the completely not mutually exclusive idea of the government should do a universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Federal jobs uh, guarantee is kind of like UBI in a, in a certain way, but it's but it's kind of saying like, uh, well, we just are making the conditions such that you you're instead of like universal basic income, it's like a universal basic job. Yeah. And so the only difference is to get your UBI, you've got to you've got to show up at the you've got to show up at the job warehouse. Yes, and do some <laughs> do some shit, and it doesn't even have to be productive. But they're just saying like, it you're, it's going to take it, we're going to take your workday from you in exchange for the federal UBI, and we want to really encourage you to go get you know a proper job because this one's not going to be very good. It's going to be like you know pretty bad pay, pretty boring work. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that's, that's the that, Mosler view on it, which is yeah, that's the Mosler view. That's yeah. the main reason that UBI people are opposed to it is because they see it as means tested UBI, like uh, UBI with a work requirement is yes, yeah. how they characterize it. 
And for Mosler's view of the world, probably correct because he has said that like people should have to work in order to get, you know, a basic standard of living. Yeah. Um, but then you have the left wing version of it, which is like the Green New Deal, where it's like, okay, well, we need a sweeping change to all of society, and there is currently no business that is planning to do that. So the government should just do it itself and employ millions of people uh, with good paying jobs to, um, you know, do this really huge, massive change to society. Um and just do so by issuing money and paying it to people. And that will revitalize the economy and prevent climate change, mm-hmm. which yeah. sounds good to me. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. I, mean, I don't look, see anything wrong with it. <laughs> do, 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 they should do something. And I think yeah, for me, the reason um, maybe we should start talking about the political outcomes here. But like, I mean, and M- MMT, I think, is a very dangerous theory to sort of take at face value. I almost wonder if... This whole deficit mythology is like necessary in a way. It's like a necessary myth because the outcome, if we were to accept MMT as sort of orthodox explanation of how money actually works, uh, it kind of distra- And the funny thing was, I actually brought this up with, uh, I met what's his name, Baskar Sundara, the, 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 oh, okay. the, the uh-huh. and I talked to him about MMT and I said, because they did this like thing in Brooklyn, it was like a public, um, it was like a public event. And I had suggested, because they, they were asking, they were polling the audience, like, what, what do you want us to talk about? And I said, you, got, you all need to talk about MMT. And they didn't want to talk about it. And then afterwards, I was talking to Sundara, and I said, how come you guys don't want to talk about MMT? And he said, because, we, because part of the Bernie platform is to tax the rich. And if MMT is accepted, there's really no, there's, it, there's really no basis for calling for more taxes because we don't need their money to spend money. And uh, I think that's one of the dangers of MMT is like, like it might be that the more likely outcome or the more likely result of it is that the tax hawks actually get more out of, or yeah, the, the, the deficit hawks get more out of it because they're like, look, the government doesn't is admitting that it doesn't need your money, but it taxes you anyway. And I think it's much easier to get Americans to be like, yeah, I don't want to pay taxes than to say, oh, yeah, I want the government to do big things, you know? Yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, it doesn't like completely destroy the idea that we should tax the rich because, I mean, like inequality is a problem in itself. Mm-hmm. So there is a good reason to tax rich people, which is to take their money away. <laughs> But oh no! I that's I agree very that, very unpopular in the U.S. I think so. Exactly. I mean, it's like for, we're not ready for political to hear expediency. That I think yeah, I would probably agree with them. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there are some necessary myths that we need because, like, as a people, like we we just there's just certain things that we can't we have not accepted yet. Like that that the vast majority of us will never be rich. Mm-hmm. And that you should hate the rich, therefore, <laughs> like, it, like they haven't, we haven't accepted that concept. You know, like we still all think of ourselves as potential future billionaires, and so you know. And I don't by wanna... the way, if if you're listening to this and you work for a right wing think tank, nothing we're saying is true. Uh, deficits <laughs> yeah. do matter. You do have to tax in order to spend, and <laughs> the government can't issue money. <laughs> yes, yeah. It all depends on what what your intentions are. Um, yeah. Affects what what is true. We could have um, unlimited social programs or unlimited fascism. 
<laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It, I mean, you know, the nature of money doesn't shit about, it doesn't dictate what your politics are. It doesn't dictate, right. you know, it's just like, yeah, this is the truth. Your, the U.S. government can never go broke. It can always afford anything in the world that's ever priced in dollars, and it doesn't need to tax anybody for it. Uh, and whether what what we choose to do with that reality is is kind of up to us, you know. It is a thin line that that Bernie is trying trying to walk, though, because he has to balance his concern with like we want we want to accept their framing on how are you going to pay for it in order to. Uh, do wealth redistribution but then also like that means you have to show some math to say like yes the social program we're creating has a corresponding tax uh revenue to it yeah. which may not always be the case <laughs> yeah but i guess once they get it passed then it doesn't matter as much so i don't know but wasn't it like under obamacare there there were like the there was um we didn't call it a tax. We called it a mandatory premium. And so it was like, that. well, remember like it was, you know, under Obamacare, it, it, I don't know what the hell happened to the bill. Cause it's been, it's been a lot of components have been uh, removed from it. Yeah. But originally the idea was that you, 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 you know, it would mandate that we all would have to go out and buy private insurance. And, right. um, and that if you didn't do it, it would be a penalty. The government would essentially charge you premium anyway. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that that was challenged in the Supreme Court to say, like, well, the government can't charge you a premium. Like, you know, uh, you can't, you know, this is like, but essentially they were trying to say, like, the government can't force us to buy something. Right. And so the, so the uh, government responded to say, all right, how about this? How about instead of us pretending that we're forcing you to go buy something we just call it what it is it's a tax we're taxing, <laughs> we're taxing you you know and so and then the, the justice roberts swung back to to saying that that's okay well the government is able is allowed to tax and this these mandatory premiums are taxes and so in what i'm saying is that like it doesn't matter you can call it a premium tax, whatever the fuck you want it doesn't matter like it is the same thing and so if bernie's saying like Okay, how do you fund Medicare for all? Well, we got to tax you. I mean, he could just as well go out and say, "Well, we're going to charge you premiums." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what do, what do you think we're going to do? Uh, but it it doesn't really matter, you know. Um, yeah, they're all just different names hear, for the same thing. Yeah, it's all just. I mean, and and you, I think that you give someone else money. <laughs> like, exactly, that's what it like, ultimately is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> And so I guess that's 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 kind of like what he's doing. He's playing this game now of saying like, well, assuming that we can't have Medicare for all without having to cut something else. It kind of boils down to the same thing. So it's public. I mean, it's just basically universal payer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or sorry, single payer. Yes. And we all have the same insurer, and we're all paying the same premiums to the same insurer. It's not exactly like, you know, a new program, right? It's he's just saying like we're just going to consolidate all of our private insurance into a single government subs- government run insurer. That's it, you know. Um yeah, one of the other things that really got me uh riled up during the deba- the the debates was um 
you know, Bernie, of course, is saying, you know, we're, we're going to move to single payer healthcare, which is going to lower the cost of healthcare. And uh, I have a plan to pay for it. And overall, the amount that you pay is going to go down. And all of the right wing Democrats were like, uh, we shouldn't do that. We don't need that. Uh, we should just lower the cost of healthcare. But then they never actually describe how they plan to do that. It's just like, oh, so you have a cost of healthcare lever in the White House and you're just going to decide to pull it? Why didn't you just do that before, you fucking assholes? <laughs> you know what they really mean? They're like, we have a bunch of Pete Buttigieg types that, are, that have a lot of great ideas because they're, I mean, they speak, um, they speak all sorts of Norwegian languages and uh, drink fancy wines. <laughs> and they're going to, they've got PowerPoints like you wouldn't fucking believe. They're going to get power- with all their friends that work in the health insurance industry uh, sitting yeah. on the board and they're, they're going to say, please, sir, can you lower health care prices for us? They're going to they've got four to five bullet points that are going to knock your socks off in terms of the creativity and out of the box thinking that they've put into the PowerPoint. It's out of the box. It's in the PowerPoint. <laughs> it's going to knock your socks off. These ideas, these ideas that we're going to do. <laughs> And you're like, what are the ideas? They're like, they're crazy. They're just nuts. We're going to talk about it some other time. <laughs> like, I, I think one person did let slip that the way that they supposedly can lower the cost of healthcare is by having Medicare and Medicaid negotiate prices or by having the government limit like the prices that they will pay. So it's like, okay, so what if we expand Medicare to everyone and then they can negotiate the cost of healthcare, and it'll go down because they're the only option. Right. But, of course, they don't want to do that. They <laughs> would rather concern troll about taking people's choices away. Yeah. Not my precious choice. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, what do you think is going to happen, like, this in, in uh, during the, is, is this going to, is it going to be all about, I mean, is like this going to be problem? Yeah, like, is this going to be the issue? Because I, I, I don't know if it's going to be, but I it is because it just, it just still shocks me that like there's a lot of Americans who are like, uh, yeah, I don't really see what's wrong with healthcare in this country because I got mine. Um, yeah, know. I mean, I don't know, like uh, the idea of single payer healthcare when it's just described like in a value neutral way, uh, like something like 74 or 78% of Americans are in favor of it. Um, until of course you ask them like, would you, uh, would you want the government to take away your health care <laughs> in order to, you know, make it a giant government run bureaucracy that decides whether you live or die? Uh, then it becomes unpopular, but uh, I mean, sir, are you, uh, are you pro death panel? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, that was what, like, that was shockingly effective. That whole death panel thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Like, I think Trump is going to try and do that. Uh, yeah. If it's if it's Trump versus Bernie, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's going to try and do the death panel thing. But... Would you rather your death panels be chosen by Washington or by the folks Aetna. at U- Aetna? <laughs> like, yeah. Would you rather your death panelists work uh, draw a private salary or a government salary? How would you feel? Yeah, I don't know if I've heard him <laughs> use the that that argument of like. Yeah it's either look it's either public or private bureaucracy there's no there's no outcome where we don't have a bureaucracy deciding whether you live or die yeah the only choices are Aetna or the government but (laughs) i'm i'm hoping that that's what uh bernie goes with if 
Trump tries to talk about it with him at, you know, during a debate. But I have a feeling it's just going to be Trump rambling about how toilets don't work or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that one. He was like, we've got, he's like, we've got these dishwashers. He's like, I'm approving dishwashers that are going to be... They're going to get them clean on the first try, folks. And then the you have to put your dishes in four or five times. <laughs> no more. No more. These are just one shot. I'm ch- we're changing things. And they go nuts. And you know, the thing yeah. is, like, you live in Virginia, right? Yeah. Like, so he gave everyone um, Christmas Eve off this year, all the federal employees. Mm. And I'm like, he's going to win Virginia. Those little things, those little favors, they matter. They're not going to forget that. Yeah. yeah, like Bush uh, giving everyone $200. Yeah. For his reelection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the post 9-11 go shopping. Like everyone yeah. everyone um got got yeah. <laughs> the best way yeah. to fight terrorism is by doing exactly what you're already doing. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. He I mean he was literally like, Don't stop shopping. Don't stop shopping. <laughs> yeah. That's how you kill America is you stop shopping. So there's two hundred <laughs> bucks. Go get yourself something nice and shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, so let's see, what else can we talk about here? So, uh, one of the things the Federal Reserve does, uh, is they sell treasuries, uh, and buy treasuries to and from commercial banks. And, uh, the reason for this is to target interest rates. I don't really understand, like, what their goal is when they're trying to target a certain interest rate. But basically, they're just like swapping, um, you know, cash for treasuries with commercial banks uh, in order to get them to offer loans at a specific interest rate. Oh, you mean when they're when they're targeting the interbank rate, all that yes. stuff? Like the, yeah, like the overnight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just they're just that's the primary that's the primary role of the um, Federal Reserve, right? It, they have a two they have a two pronged mission. Uh, one is to manage uh, inflation, and the mm-hmm. other is to manage um, employment. And their their job is, you know, to and it's all so this based is to on to try and control inflation. It's to try and balance inflation against employment. They want okay. full, they want to reach full employment, but they don't want inflation going through the roof or whatever. And so there, it's based on this belief that the closer you get to full employment, the more your inflation is going to go up. And the the one, you know, one of their their main lever is really simple. It's just controlling interest rates because their belief is that interest rates set the amount of private growth and private activity. And, uh, it, you know, if you th- – I mean, it's all kind of bullshit, but, like, if yeah, you I lower mean, so interest let's rates – Let's just describe the whole theory here. So yeah. – because th- they don't even control inflation – Apparently, they just control the amount of treasuries that commercial banks have. They're guiding so it. Yeah. I think yeah. They're, so it's they're, like they're trying to guide it. Yeah. Treasuries uh, at commercial banks uh, inform their decision on interest rates, which informs their decision on how much money they lend, which informs businesses' decisions on how much money they borrow, which in like uh, affects how many people they hire which affects the employment rate, which affects something, which then affects the amount of inflation that exists. Yeah, I mean, they're they're black boxing the entire private economy, the free market economy, so to speak, to say, if we can control this sort of like 
all-encompassing variable of how much credit costs, then uh-huh. we will basically it's like a voltage. It's basically like the thinking of the private economy as some kind of circuit board and the interest rate is the voltage. And so if we lower it, we're we're kind of juicing the economy a bit and it's going to go kick into high gear. And it's not. It's a, and well and then the fear is that if it kicks into high gear then it starts creating inflation, right? Yeah. And um that's that's the view of it and it's just not fucking happening. First of all, our interest rates are basically zero. Like it's, we're, yes. we're, I mean, we're getting close to negative interest rate territory, meaning like it would be cheaper to get a loan than to not. <laughs> like, like whatever the fuck that means, it would be cheaper to get a loan than to not get a loan. And um, it's getting to that point. And what we're seeing is full employment, but, you know, we know the numbers are kind of cooked and bullshit and what right. we consider employment is kind of bullshit. But anyway, we're getting to what the Federal Reserve on its dashboard considers full employment, and there's no inflation in sight, not even close. The problem has been deflation. The problem has been um, that there's just like really not enough aggregate demand and to meet the, the overproduction. And what we're really seeing when the, when the Fed is doing zero interest rate policy, ZERP, is we're doing nothing but inflating financial assets, and that includes housing. So I think here, I live in New York City, here I think last year uh, there were more more than 50% of all the real estate sales uh, that were closed last year uh, were sales to investment companies, were sales to basically like REITs, um, real estate mutual funds basically. Uh, and so housing is a financial asset. The stock market's through the fucking roof, if you noticed. Uh, all financial assets in America have been inflated because of the fact that now when you set interest rates low, the private economy, part of it that's actually productive, it doesn't have any more investments to make. Like we can't sell any more of the shit that we produce. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not enough demand. And so what happens is, oh, we get all these like, you know, the financialized sector of the economy uh, full of um, asset managers, hedge fund managers, et cetera, like, oh, money's on the cheap. Let's just go buy a bunch of money and then we'll leverage it to go buy assets that'll give us a slightly higher return. We're going to long-term capital management this shit. We're going we're gonna to arbitrage the ridiculously low rates to borrow cash and we'll just go buy something that gives us a marginally better return, be it S&P 500 stocks or... Fracking the, land. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, exactly. Like anything. Like, yeah, oil. We'll just go buy some fucking oil. Yeah. Um, if there's a war, we'll go buy some Lockheed Martin stocks, whatever. And that's all that it is. And it's not creating any more. I think real economic growth is still very low. And so right. the basically what I'm saying is that the Federal Reserve's original mission just doesn't make sense anymore because it's not inflation is not the fear. Yeah. Another like folk understanding of inflation says that inflation is actually good if you're in debt. Uh, again, because of the, this idea that inflation is when money becomes less valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, I've heard this a number of times. I haven't seen it or heard it in a while. But the idea is if you have $10,000 worth of debt, then when inflation happens, now it's only worth $8,000. And so that's good because that means you have to pay less. But like, 
the nominal value is still in is still ten thousand dollars. So yeah, but it, it makes your sense. money is less valuable because everything else is more expensive. That just means like you're spending more money on all of the other shit that you spend money on, and you still have the same amount of debt. Oh yeah, but when they say this stuff, I assume that they're talking about. They're not talking about people, right? Like nobody gives a shit about people. They're talking about like if you're a business. I mean, it's all this macro investment shit. It's like, okay, if you bar, I mean, the whole point of debt is to is is as uh, a vehicle to capitalize your investments, right? So like right. if you're yeah, if you're a company, I borrow, um, I I take on debt in order to invest it into productive activities, and that productive activity makes me more money than it costs to service that debt, which is kind of goes in line at a macro level with the idea that inflation, which is an indicator of growth, that, well... I mean, I guess if the inflation is you as a business are raising your prices, then yes, inflation does ease your debt burden because now you're getting more income from your yes. higher prices. Yeah, I'm making more money than, uh, you know, than I... I'm making far more money through the capital that I invested in use, financed with debt than I am in terms of what I have to, what I'm costs I'm incurring as the interest rate service of the debt, right? So the whole idea is if I lower interest, if for the Federal Reserve that wants to jumpstart the economy, if I lower interest rates to near zero, virtually any productive activity, so long as it brings in a marginal profit of anything, <laughs> is going to be is going to be better than is going to be more profitable for you. Um, even then take you would lose an interest. Yeah. yeah, then you would lose an interest, right? So go borrow money and just do anything that's marginally productive. And they're like, okay, we'll borrow it and buy stocks. And, <laughs> and um, you know, we'll recognize the profit in the form of a mark to market, meaning unrealized gains, which are, of course, that's a bubble because once everyone tries to realize their gain at the same time, the whole thing falls apart. Um, and so we just inflate asset bubbles. I mean, I think that's that's the thing is like there's the theory and then there's the reality. The reality is that we're just creating asset bubbles and we're not really doing shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is the what's the new hot Silicon Valley thing? The last we, the last big thing I heard about was we work, which is failing. Yeah. 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 Um, that's all. I guess, Saudi I guess money. SoftBank is, is like the big focus of everyone now, which is just like. Uh, you know, giving people boatloads of Saudi oil money, hoping that they'll eventually be able to monopolize a market and collect rents from it. That's that's like the whole tech business model. Yeah, I mean, when you have that much cash floating around at that cheap, uh, and you have oil money, like you literally have like hundreds of billions of dollars that has nowhere to go. There's no there's no new investments to see to 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 buy into. Right. Um, you just create, you just empower the most, you know, convincing showman um, to to manufacture a, um, a uh, an investment idea, and the bigger the better because I got I got five hundred billion dollars that I have, and I don't know where the fuck to put it. Um, give me a, give me a reason. Um, you know, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. You know, like I re I remember seeing some clip in like. 2010 like you know right right after the financial crisis where someone was trying to explain like how the 
like securities derivatives market works and it was he was like so basically uh rich guys meet in a in a bar or something like that and then they take a cocktail napkin and they write 500 billion dollars on it and then they hand it to another rich guy who then takes a different cocktail napkin and writes you know 800 billion dollars in it and hands it back to the other guy and <laughs> like that's all the economy is <laughs> yeah that's the financial, you know, everyone's like complaining about or, or pointing out like how the economy is getting financialized. I think this is what it is. It's like we're just we're just creating notional bets and stuff like we're not doing anything with the money, you know. Yeah. Um, or you do or what you could do is you could pour it into construction projects that are like full, like totally unnecessary. Uh, and so right. that's another thing. Like, but see, that's cooler because at least you could see it. At least it doesn't seem so illusory. Um, yeah, you can, at least you can have a big, tall, ugly building that's completely empty all the time. The yeah, like Hudson Yards. <laughs> like, yeah, like Hudson Yards. Like literally, like there's this huge like, Park Avenue. <laughs> yeah, it's like these that's fifty fucking <laughs> yeah, these fifty story fucking uh, condos that are like thirty percent sold, and it's all investors anyway. So like at night, like they they turn on lights just to make it look like people are in there. But really, yeah. if if they were to only let residents turn on lights. The whole thing's fucking dark. And it's like a 50-story <laughs> condo in the middle of a city that everyone says is, you know, is short on housing. Yeah. And no one's living in this fucking thing. Yep. And I'm like, okay, well, see, that's what happens when you have cheap credit. Like, you, there's nothing to do with it. So, you know, it'll go to someone, a Trump-like person who's like, oh, I've got the greatest building. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be like a David Chang restaurant in it. Uh, there's going to be coffee. There's going to be blue bottle coffee. It's, it's, it's fair trade. It's going to be great guys. It's going to be great. And then they build it because it's looks like a real investment opportunity. Um, cause you could see it. You're like, Whoa, that thing's really tall. It's completely yeah. fucking useless. You know? Right. I, I guess the general theory that, that we can take away from all this stuff, like in, including the, you know, how the federal reserve controls inflation, uh, and how, the federal government is supposed to uh, do social programs and, you know, how we're supposed to fight the housing crisis, which is like uh, right wingers always want to portray the economy as this big Rube Goldberg machine that's so complex that no mere mortal can understand it, uh, except with years of study. And you can't uh, do anything directly. You have to pull the levers on the Reeb Goldberg machine and hope that uh, it gets the outcome you want because otherwise uh, something bad will happen. We don't exactly know what that is, but uh, Stalinism. Yeah. Stalinism will happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, if the federal government were to pay for everyone's health care, then uh, it's going to kill a hundred million people. And that's just what happens every time. Famines. Yeah. <laughs> Literally famines. We're, we're all going to die from lack of yams. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I think uh, I think that is the lesson. To I agree. Yeah, I mean, like the thing with uh, with the housing crisis is like, uh, oh, it's actually good to build these investment properties because uh, you know when a rich person buys a house, uh, obviously they have to do something with their current house. They're not just going to stay there. Uh, so they move into their new place, and then that place is vacant. And so someone who's slightly less rich can buy that house now because somehow they can afford it 
for some reason. <laughs> and uh, then they leave their house. And so someone less rich than them can afford it. And then eventually that makes its way down to the poorest uh, or the, the richest homeless person who can now afford the cheapest house. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what's amazing eventually. Is, what's amazing is that the thing you just described, which is obviously not how things work, that is the Rube Goldberg mechanism that's supposed to be so hard to understand that, like, we can't yeah. do it directly. Like, oh, the rich guy moves into an even bigger house and then everyone just slots up. That's too complicated for us to understand. That's not what happens at all, first of all. And second, it doesn't seem that complicated, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But that that is, I mean, that's how people will go about saying, like, well, I mean, they, they're all like, it's way too complicated. And then they proceed to tell you exactly how things don't work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at any uh, any post about uh, Colorado housing, uh, especially Denver housing, you'll you'll see this argument deployed all over the place because people will like, you know, people that are normal and have you know normal functioning brains will say like, hey, why don't we just build affordable housing so that people can you know live in a house? Mm-hmm. And then you have the people that say, no, that doesn't work. What we actually have to do is build housing for rich people so that eventually it trickles down to the you know poorest people. <laughs> and here's here's an article that proves that this is how it works. And it's like some econ study on a simulation of <laughs> housing markets where eventually, you know, after 15 years, building housing for the rich uh, trickles down to poor people. And okay, so never, ne- you know. never mind that never mind that wealth is distributed in a pyramid. Yeah. So, like the, the ten rich, the ten well, that's good. The ten billionaires in Denver, or however many, like three billionaires in Denver, yeah, are going to buy three new houses and sell their old fucking eight million dollar house to like someone slightly poorer than them. Uh, but there's ten of those guys, and then the, the Mitt well, Romney you see, level. You don't understand how revealed preference works, Teen, because if someone <laughs> buys a you know eight thousand square foot mansion, then uh, if that wasn't available before, then they would have had the same thing the market would support, which is two 4,000 square foot mansions. Oh, right, 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 right. And so That's they true. they vacate those and <laughs> then they right. become available for slightly less rich people. Right. The $8 million <laughs> house subdivides into two $4 million houses <laughs> through uh, mitosis. Uh, and then that, and it's organic, uh, or it's an organic yeah. uh, thing. It's too hard to explain. Uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, well, look, I mean, w- w- with respect to this sort of takeaway, I think that's right. Like what I, what we were talking about, what we were describing in terms of like how, you know, just simply sitting back and manipulating interest rates, which is called monetary policy, mm-hmm. um, does not lead to good outcomes. The, the, the private market doesn't know what to do with that money. And it's not necessarily that it doesn't know. It can't do it. There are things that the private markets cannot do, uh, no matter how cheap the um the funding is like we can't go out like one one insurer cannot take all that cheap money go out and then suddenly gain market power uh purchaser power in in the in the market for healthcare it can't do that there's things that only the government can do and that if you look at the the ways in which monetary policy has run up against a brick wall you're looking at it um, we've basically, the, the Federal Reserve is out of ammunition. It's done quantitative easing, sort of essentially subsidizing private debt at this point. And meaning that the central bank's essentially directly lending money out to the public now is, is what QE is. Yeah. Um, and 
And despite it, it, adding like trillions of dollars into circulation through quantitative well, easing, there's well, not been any corresponding inflation. All the only all it's done is make stocks more expensive. So if you own stocks, that might be good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's made your housing more expensive. If you own housing, that's probably been good for you. Um, and it's made uh, a lot of um, it's it's made a lot of empty skyscrapers pop up in places like Miami and New York and L.A. And that's it. That's that's the limit of fiscal of 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 monetary policy. What MMT is saying is that in order for us to actually progress the economy, and these are all pro-growth, pro-capitalist ideas in a sense. Like I, this isn't even like you know out of, like this is like pretty mainstream shit. Is yeah. like if you want to stoke more capitalistic economic growth, you're going to have to look towards the government through fiscal policy, meaning we need government spending because there's things that the private market simply cannot do just because you've made credit available, right? And um, like, no, we don't see anyone going into the affordable housing market. We don't see anyone, like it's impossible for us to go and, um, uh, oh, the other thing that it's done, of course, is to inflate college tuitions through their fucking roof. Um, Through the, through, through government subsidies of, of, Guaranteed loans. loans, yeah, yeah, through guaranteed loans. The the only aspect that did it, it didn't improve uh, acts the number of people going to college, or it didn't improve the quality of education. It just made uh, uh, tuitions go sky high. Mm-hmm. Uh, sa- same way that subsidy of um, of mortgage interest, which would be much higher than three point two percent or whatever they are right now, without government guarantees, right? So all we do is we go and subsidize interest rates. Uh, and what do we see? We see increasing prices, um, but we don't see any better outcomes. Like, you know, all that happens is just shit gets more expensive for us. Um, and we service more debt. That's it. I think you also raise a good point that we can relate back to the MMT, uh, viewing the economy in terms of balance sheets thing, which is, uh, if something becomes more expensive for someone, then, on the other side of that, there's someone who benefits from that. Mm-hmm. So the increase in cost of healthcare benefits the people who administer healthcare. The increasing cost of housing benefits the people who own housing. Um, and, and then, like, you know, on the converse, uh, the low, reduced cost of, like, taking a taxi that Uber and Lyft have brought about uh, is a detriment to people who drive you around. So, like, the economy yeah. is inherently conflictual. Uh, you know, buyers and sellers always have opposing interests. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you want to reduce the just the bad shit that happens uh, mm-hmm. in the economy, like, a great way to do that is by having the government take it over because, A, they can issue money. B, they are not interested in trying to raise revenue. And C, they don't have to compete with anyone. If they completely take over an industry, there is only one entity that is administrating it, and they don't have to raise or lower their prices in order to, you know, push out a competitor. So, like, the reason that that single-payer healthcare is is good is, for one, it's free, obviously, free to the person that's using it. Two, 
you know, the, the money doesn't have to come out of anyone's pocket in order for the, uh, you know, the, the doctors and hospital staff and all that stuff, all of those people to be paid. And like, there's, uh, there's no one who has an interest in like raising the cost of it because they wouldn't get any additional benefit from that except for maybe doctors and you know, people that are getting paid basically. And they should but, be paid. I mean, doctors should be yeah. paid. You know? Like yeah. pe- those who manufacture useful drugs should be paid and they will, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Do you have anything else uh, to talk about no, MMT? I, uh, no, I mean, I think, I think people, I think it's super interesting. I think it's, it, it's, it essentially MMT in my opinion is what's going to, the the economy as we have as as we just isn't very good. It's not just not big enough and not growing fast enough, but it's not providing the things that people need, right. especially in education, especially housing and healthcare. Right, those key areas, social areas, mm-hmm. and retirement. And uh, we have reached the absolute limits of what the free market can provide to the point where our the government is basically nothing but a provider of credit to mm-hmm. the free market and they still can't provide these things for us. And so it's just a point now where I think we've got to start looking at, in my opinion, this is a, this, and it's probably a politicized statement to say this, but I do think we really need to start looking at using the government, retaking the state as mm-hmm. an active provider and, and um, producer of those things. Yeah. yeah. Since we mentioned uh, UBI earlier, and I think I can connect it to this. Um, again, people who are in favor of UBI are generally against MMT for whatever reason, because they see UBI as the opposite of the job guarantee or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think most of the arguments in favor of UBI are, are right-wing arguments, or at least they are arguments that don't acknowledge the reality of MMT or at least chartalism because like the biggest argument that they uh they use is besides like it's good for people which okay sure i agree with that <laughs> but also their biggest argument is it costs less than other social programs because all you're doing is adding money to people's accounts but if you're spending government money who gives a shit how much it costs it doesn't matter the government can just create money, so it doesn't matter if it's cheaper or not. That's not a good argument. And then the other one is it gives people more choices, but like, it's not a mystery what things people need. People need, like, the biggest things that people spend money on are rent, education, healthcare, utilities, and food. It's not like a mysterious thing. There's not like some person out there that doesn't need food or doesn't need to pay rent that mm-hmm. we need to worry about for our yeah. government programs. Yeah. So just just fucking like nationalize housing, nationalize education, you know, have have a single purveyor of, you know, housing and utilities and uh education and food and like you don't need a UBI if you if they're all free at the at the point of uh, use, then like, I don't know, like the idea that people need to choose to spend their money on rent and and utilities, that just doesn't 
make much sense to me. And then we talked about last time how, you know, if you get a thousand dollar UBI, in all likelihood, your landlord is going to raise your rent by, you know, if not a thousand dollars outright, pretty close to it. Yeah, they'll poo poo those arguments to see, like, oh, well, we can always. <laughs> oh, sorry, you dropped out. Oh, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they can always, they can, they'll always say like, "Oh, well, well, we, we, there's ways to deal with that. We can always deal with that later." <laughs> or like, what, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I, UBI's trash. Uh, UBI's a fucking old idea. I mean, it, it was meant to. UBI was proposed originally, you know, like we, you know, way back as the negative income tax, simply as a way to recognize that a lot of people were going to lose their jobs once we started mm-hmm. to neoliberalize once we started to hand over dismantle the welfare state and hand control of so much of the economy to into private hands that necessarily people were going to get laid off and kicked out of the economy altogether because they're not needed and um we were like well they shouldn't starve so maybe we need (laughs) no no i mean this was right this was like right yeah you know during the reagan era when we were really moving towards um, really uh, liberalizing the economy. And they and knew. Certainly there were people the saying, well, maybe they should, though. <laughs> maybe they should die. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's the funny thing is, like, even the most cold-hearted, you know, um, liberalizers out there, like, you know, the Milton Friedmans were saying, we need to offer some sort of cushion for people that are going to be dislocated because of these transformations in the economy. And they were like, the implementers were like, no, no, they, no, we don't. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, yeah, er- you know. Early economic uh, writing is full of uh, people who not only do not think that we need to make sure that uh, people are able to eat, but that actually uh, scarcity is good because it uh, whips in the indolent peasants uh, into productive industry. And that's what... Uh, Cause that's what the source of real happiness is. So, like when when France was having all sorts of famines, uh, you know, killing loads of people and you know starving the ones who survived, uh, that was actually good because they were happier because they were thankful for the little that they had. <laughs> it's a brutal. I mean, it's just really brutal. Um, yeah, like we've gotten become more brutal. Extremely fucked up. Time. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've been educated into it. And it's just, it's very, yeah, it's just, I don't know. For me, it's just like, I've seen, I've seen the change, you know, over decades where I do think we've been educating people to be these cold, like realists, like the more realist, like this whole idea of like, you can't, you can't get, there's nothing comes for free. You can't just do things. You can't you just do things. The like, Goldberg machine. <laughs> yeah, like you have everything. Like there is just a finite supply of shit, and it's got to be given to the richest because they're the smartest, and they only only they know how to apportion stuff. And to but you the know, finite supply is money, not not the resources that we're extracting. Those are infinite. <laughs> those are those are infinite, but they're limited by money. About. We yeah, can do right. unlimited pollution. Yeah, <laughs> we can put as much carbon into the atmosphere and catch as many fish as we want. That's fine. Yes, yes. but money doesn't money. grow on trees. But we can, even though it literally does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like and like, um, <laughs> medical procedures are extremely rare and val- yeah, <laughs> like we can't you know, like blood tests are extremely rare and difficult to do. 
<laughs> um, as are as is like basic antibiotic, um, insulin, yeah, all yeah. That stuff. Hospital yeah. rooms are extremely, extremely valuable things. There's only so many of them. Um, we can't make more. We don't know where they come from. But we can uh, make big empty towers for Russian yes, oligarchs yeah, to buy. Those we can, those we can make. <laughs> no problem uh, there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and I, I think MMT. I, you know, I, I am interested just because I think it cuts. It just really cuts through the mythology. We've mythologized money and budgets and government spending to the point where we can't think clearly about it. And I think MMT sort of makes the money aspect of it a little bit more transparent. Like MMT kind of is a way of to not think about money, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to say, let's not think about money. Money doesn't yeah. matter. Money, Money's bullshit. What really let matters... Let counters do that. <laughs> yeah, let, let them handle it. But what really matters is, like, how how many people do you have... How many, how much, how much like natural resources do you have? Mm -hmm. How much like machinery? How much construction equipment? How, how much like FTEs? arable land? Yeah. Like how much stuff do you have? And how many doctors do you have? How many nurses do you have? How many yeah. like drug manufacturing, uh, you know, plants do you have? Like what is your actual material ability to create healthcare? Like what is that? Or to create housing or to educate people? And MMT is a way to say, like, don't worry about the money. The money doesn't fucking matter. It's just bullshit. But what matters is, do you have an economy that is able to produce these things for people? Um, and, are pe and are there people around to produce it? And it's just, I think those are the important questions, right? Um, yeah. So MMT is a way to not fucking debate money and yield and yeah. euro dollar markets and shit like that to be like none of it matters finance professionals should be you know mid-tier to low-level um back office nerds like they should they, <laughs> they shouldn't talk they should only talk amongst them and they yeah. shouldn't like what they have to say shouldn't matter to like normal people yeah <laughs> right but they're the financialized financial people are way too fucking powerful and they'd love to like, you know, taunt people with how much how little they know about esoteric stuff that doesn't matter, like euro dollar, euro bond markets and Eurobor and the LIBOR interest rate setting pro like shut the fuck up. Nobody cares, you know. So I'm pretty interested to see if there's ever been like a survey of, you know, people's attitudes towards issues that included like, do you care what the deficit is or how much like the government is spending on anything? I'm sure it exists. So if, if anyone knows of that, uh, DM it to me. Um, <laughs> but I have a feeling that most people, if they, when they hear the argument, like we can't do Medicare for all because it's too expensive. They're like, well, that's bullshit. It's the government who cares. Right. Right. But I don't know. But I, I think, uh, yeah, I think you summarized it well. And uh, I think that's a good time to wrap it up. We've been yep. going for about an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so, Teen, uh, thank you for coming on to talk about this with me. And, yeah, thanks um, for having me, man. Where can people find you? Uh, they can go to planamag.com. Do uh, sort of Asian-American-focused politics. We uh, crypto leftists, I guess. It's not clear. <laughs> Always so clear what our politics are, but we do. Yeah, on episode like 50 or something, you guys were like, okay, so just so you all know, we're all leftists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of 
uh, it would be primarily of interest to like a lot of Asian Americans who, uh, you know, are interested in things like political identity in America and stuff. Uh, so planamag.com and we do a podcast called Escape from Plan A. You can find the links there. Uh, yep. And uh, uh, your and your Twitter is uh, at M-O-N-T oh, at- underscore J-I-A-N-G, right? Yes. Yes, that's yeah, right. Mont Jang. Yep. yep. All right, man. Uh, All right. Thanks again. Yeah, good talk and good catching up. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone.